Hello, everyone, and welcome back to 2020 Psych. I'm one of your hosts, Claire Kay, and I'm joined today by my father. I'll go ahead and let him introduce himself. My name is Dr. Hernandez. I'm a double board certified psychiatrist. I hope you guys enjoyed our previous episode about Mental Health Awareness Month and our conversation. If you haven't checked it out already, I encourage you to do so. This week, we wanted to talk about kids and their increased, their seemingly increased anxiety over the course of the year, over the course of the pandemic, and how parents could combat this anxiety, how they can ease it, and maybe how they can spot it depending if their kid isn't vocal enough um, for them to express themselves. We'd love to just have that discussion. So I'm going to go ahead and let my dad uh, tell us what he knows about anxiety and kids. Well, it's interesting that you make a comment that we want to direct some of this to the parents, though most of the anxiety that kids are experiencing is usually a result of what they observe in their parents. So it's important for parents to realize that their anxiety gets transmitted, if you will, or is in some way, in some ways contagious um, and it rubs off on their kids. So we know that this has been a very stressful time for all individuals throughout the planet. Everyone has been affected by the pandemic to a certain degree, some of course more than others. And of course, the more resources you have, the better off you're able to deal with certain things like this pandemic. But kids look up to their parents for guidance because we're their role models. And if kids see that their parents are panicking, that their parents are nervous, that their parents are stressing, it's going to take a toll on them. And God knows that parents have had a lot of, to worry about and to be anxious about. The loss of jobs, the loss of lives, the loss of loved ones, there's multiple losses, there's multiple stresses, there's multiple uncertainties. Par- grandparents have been lost, uh, friends have been lost, and this has taken a toll uh, in many ways, an emotional one, a financial one. And of course, kids are going to perceive, see how their parents react, and if the parents aren't coping well, kids are going to have a tough time coping as well. And I mean, it's not that hard to see that, right? That kids uh, were going to—they're going to take their cues from their parents. If their parents cope well, if they uh, are able to relieve their stress in in healthy ways, then the kids will do the same. However, if parents uh, start coping with drugs, anger, um, the kids are going to see this and it's going to have a direct bearing on them. And the consequences, of course, as you know and can imagine, will be devastating. Uh, What do you think parents, what do you suggest for parents to do? Because I feel like there should be a conversation that should be had amongst parents and their kids, especially if they notice that if the parents have been feeling anxious or it's been chaotic, as you've previously mentioned, what do you suggest and how do you suggest parents go about navigating a conversation with their child about any anxiety they might be experiencing? 
But it's good to have an open dialogue with, with, with our kids. It's good to know how they're feeling and try to explore what's making them anxious, the uncertainties that they may have. Um, they've experienced things that normally kids shouldn't experience, that so much death, maybe in the family, like as I mentioned earlier, grandparents, friends of the family, uh, other relatives. Uh, and so there's a lot of grief. Um, and you want to ask kids uh, you know, what's troubling them. Uh, is it the fact that they've been home and now they're being told that they have to get ready to go back to school? Um, you know, there's a certain comfort level with certain things. Um, I know that a lot of people that have, are sort of getting used to staying home and the thought of going back out to school and maybe getting bullied and so forth, that may be a source of uh, anxiety to some. So it's good as parents to explore what the kids are worried about, what they're thinking, what the, how they're feeling about certain things. It's open, it's important to keep an open dialogue. What should maybe if your kid isn't as vocal as other kids about their needs and what's going on inside, what should parents look out for as telltale signs that their kid is not okay or acting a bit differently than their normal selves? As parents, we should always have a dialogue with our kids. Starting off with that. So, but if you see that uh, your child is losing interest in things, say that you know they used to play video games or they used to have uh, interest in different sports or different activities, if they're losing interest in the things that they like doing, then that's got to be a troubling sign. If they stop calling their friends that they normally socialize with, if that network's been closed, then we have to explore that. Among other things is mood. Uh, is is your child getting more argumentative, more irritable, crankier? Uh, those are things that you need to be in touch with their feelings. If if it's not if it's away from their baseline, you have to start asking or wondering why. Um, if their sleep patterns are changing, or if they're appetite's different, if they're losing weight, if they're gaining weight, that they lose interest in uh, fun activities that they had. You have to be in touch with them and explore those uh, and start asking, you know, what's, you know, what's troubling them. So that dialogue is important, getting to know who your child is and what their interests are. As a parent, that's something that we need to do and be in touch with it all continuously. I wanted to bring up a resource I have a friend that volunteers for this program called Crisis Text Line. And if you text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741, it's a free service and it's 24-7 and it's crisis counseling. And for those kids that maybe feel like they can't talk to their parents about certain things or can't talk to their parents at all or maybe just want someone else to talk to outside of their house, this could be a great resource for you. Um, like I said, if you feel like there's nowhere else for you to turn, people are always available on this crisis line. It's 24-7. And I'll say it again. If you text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741, it's free. It's a crisis text line. And someone will be there to comfort you, ask you questions, 
get to know your situation a little bit and hopefully help you out and make you feel less alone. That's a great resource uh, for any, and this could be for anyone also. It doesn't have to be kids. It's for all ages. You can text this number and someone can help you out. I think that's a great resource to utilize if you feel like there's people in your personal life that you can't reach out to. I want to ask you a question, Dad. What do you think with every, like, it's June 15th today, California just opened up. Do you think it was, I mean, it happened, so is it wise that everything was just opened up straight, cold turkey, because they just kind of ripped the band-aid off, seemingly no mask were required anymore? What do you think that does for people with high anxiety about who maybe are scared of personally getting the virus or giving it to a loved one? What do you think that does for people that have that kind of anxiety regarding getting sick? In some ways, it's good to still have respect for, for COVID-19. Uh, it's important to realize, though, that in California, almost 60% of adults have had at least one vaccine. And those that have the full, uh, the two sets of the vaccines, if uh, you know, if they've had the Pfizer or the Moderna, they're of course going to be safer than adults and and even teenagers now and kids that don't have a vaccine. Uh, why somebody wouldn't get a vaccine at this point is is really uh, sad, I think, because they're losing out on. On, on something that would give them a little more freedom uh, and would give others more protection as well. Um, so I think that we're all eager to move forward. Uh, everyone's been anxious in the sense that everyone's been patient uh, to the most for the most part. People want to sort of move forward with their lives. And in California, uh, some hospitals, like my hospital, for instance, today was the first day where there were no uh, COVID patients. And there's a lot of hospitals in the country that are reporting that. And that's a huge accomplishment. So props to uh, all the healthcare workers that have made this happen, uh, all the public officials, the public health officials that have this awareness campaign of getting people to get their vaccines. So I guess the good news is that the majority of adults in California have a vaccine and there's plenty of vaccines for those that want them, that haven't had them. Um, I would urge those that, that have that, that have hesitated to go out and get their vaccine so that they can be safe and that their loved ones can be safe and that we all can be safe um, in efforts to uh, stop this uh, COVID-19 from spreading. Moving forward, do you think what do you think the mental health landscape looks like for recovery for everyone as, yeah, for the rest of the year and as we continue to, um, as COVID continues to diminishes in the U.S., what do you think the mental health aspect looks like for those that lost a lot, either whether it was their job or a loved one, something very personal to them? How do you think we collectively heal well, I think it's going to be a huge challenge for those of us in the mental health field to try to address the needs of those that have suffered from this because 
as we talked about in our last uh, podcast, the, the National Institute of Mental Health has reported that there are double the number of people that are reporting symptoms. So if the mental health system was already strained to begin with, if you double the amount of people that have symptoms now and, and are going to need help, it's just going to put a lot of demand on our services. So others are going to have to jump in as well. Allied health professionals, primary care doctors, uh, counselors, everyone is going to have to uh, collaborate and try to help as many uh, patients as we can. But I don't want to see that the system's overwhelmed because uh, we're way past that. Uh, We've been overwhelmed, but what the pandemic has shown us is that when we have to be resourceful. We are resourceful. We come together as healthcare providers and we do our, our best to help everyone who's in need. So my my sense is that we're, we are going to get through this and whatever it takes, we're going to do what we can to uh, get everyone who suffered through this, help them as much as we can and, and, and try to pull together to, in this uh, collective collaborative effort. What do you what do you suspect are going to be the long lasting effects of just how COVID kind of flipped the whole system upside down? What what's here to stay that was newly implemented from COVID, and what's going to go? I think that telemedicine is here to stay. Telepsychiatry is here to stay because it extends the reach of uh, mental health providers and medical providers. I think that that's something that's good, that help is going to be available to those that are uh, away, physically uh, uh, distance from uh, clinics and so forth. So I think that's a positive. I think we've all, those those of us that have survived this, this have learned to be more resilient. And I think we're going to come out of this stronger more than ever and and be able to cope with uh, other such things in the future uh, in in better ways. That's going to go ahead and wrap up this week's episode of 2020 Psych. I hope you guys have enjoyed our discussion and have pulled some great things from it. Thank you for tuning in and listening and I hope you have a great day wherever you are.